Nice to see you all here. This was one of those weeks I kept waiting for the Lord to tell me something, and He didn't tell me a whole lot. But I think it's good, because I think He's in this. I know He's in this. I have been, uh, the last two weeks, talking about power and authority, and I'm going to continue that. But just to review a little bit, that uh, man, natural man, understands what power is. He knows what power is. And he takes power and he fights with power. Just as Goliath thought he had a lot of power when he faced down David, David came to him in power, but behind his power, he came in the name of the Lord of hosts. That is authority. Authority trumps power. No political statement there. That's terrible. <laughs> and Jesus, in Matthew 28, said, Given to me is all authority in heaven and earth. He has all authority, and he has transferred that authority to us. We have power, but we have the authority behind it in his name. And we have to remember that. And that was the main crux of the first section I talked about. Um, last week I, I, I discussed God's power to keep us. He uses his power to keep us in, if you, in his arms. He uses his power to keep us in his presence. He has made a covenant with us, and he will not break his covenant with us. Man usually thinks of keeping something until it's inconvenient to keep it. But God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, though your mother and father forsake you. I will always keep you. And we, I talked about the relationship between Saul and Jonathan and David as they were going through and David honored Saul by keeping his covenant because he was his keeper. He was his armor bearer. And though Saul tried to kill David, David, even when he had the opportunity to take Saul's life, would not do it because it would dishonor the Lord and dishonor Saul to do that. So the whole thing of last week was that the Lord has the power to keep you. And he will always do that. And in Isaiah 26.3 it says about God, God will keep him in perfect peace, those whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. God will keep you in peace when your mind is stayed on him and you trust in him. And that's where I, a little bit of where I want to go today. Because trusting, in, you know, you're in church and you say, oh, we all trust in God. But when you get out into the world and you watch people moving around and doing what they do in their lives and such, you see that trust is conditional. That trust is conditional on circumstances to us. To God, it is not. 
based on circumstances. It is based on his word. And he is faithful, and he will, he will always, always honor his word. Quickly, we use Terry as an object. You know, God says, I am Jehovah. I am your healer. Well, then why Terry go to a doctor and get healed? Could not God be in that? Sure, we trust God. We don't know how he's going to do things. We don't know how he's going to work things out. But that didn't change Terry's trust in the Lord and what the Lord was going to do for him. You know, I I told some of you a couple weeks ago, I had a, went for my every five-year physical. <laughs> you must do it better than that. And, uh, the doctor says, oh, by the way, uh, you have diabetes. I said, well, that's a tag you put on me. I don't accept that. I'll do what I have to do. But I don't accept the tag. I understand what the doctor says, but I trust in the Lord to take care of me. He gives me wisdom on what to do. So he is able to keep you. He has the power to keep you. He has the authority to keep you. But there's, throughout the Bible, it talks about, coming into today's message, is there is power that we can receive from the Lord as a gift of grace if we want to receive it. And that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. You get into talking this direction and you get into denominational feelings and discussions and such. And I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm, I'm not going to discuss speaking in tongues today, though I believe in it 120%. I'm not going to really go that direction. I want to talk about you receiving power to live the life on this, this plane, this earth. Jesus says, I'm from above and you are from below. But he gives us power to live in this plane. He gives us power through his Holy Spirit to do things that confound. But it gave us the understanding where we, we had the power to do things that the Father has called us to do that we could not do unless we trusted in him. And I'm just going to, I'm going to take you through just a number of verses and we're going to, I'll discuss briefly over them and let you see that there is a pattern in, in what God's heart is for you. And we're going to start in Joel chapter 2. And you all know these verses because you've heard them a thousand times probably. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and young men will see visions. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to dark and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone 
who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance. And as the Lord has said, among the survivors who the Lord calls. A lot of times we race over verses and go, yeah, I've heard that one before. But there's some things in there as I was reading over them that caught my eye and started me to think about some things. Some people think this is an end-time prophecy, but if you remember, Peter used these verses when he spoke after the falling of the Holy Spirit on the Pentecost. And the verse that really caught my eye in here is verse 32. It says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is every Christian, every non-Christian, every Muslim, every Hindu, every saint, every sinner, every homosexual, every thief, every murderer. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Some people find that offensive because they're ready to judge. They're ready to make pronouncement over people. But if you remember the three things we talked about over and over again that we, we tend to sometimes forget is that one of them is the finished work of the cross. At the cross, it was completed. Sin was defeated. Sin was, are you going to sin from time to time? Yes, you are. But that sin has been defeated. You had victory over that. Some of these verses in this here are, are for the end time, for when the second reappearing of Christ. But for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved is for now. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Let's turn to John 14. We're going to spend time in John and in Acts. John 14, 15 to 21. In Jesus' ministry, before he was crucified, rested, crucified, and rose, he started talking to his disciples about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Joel, in a prophecy many, many years before, mentioned this. And as I said, Peter, in his first message to the world, talked about Joel message. John 14, 15 through 21. And Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the father and you will, and he will give you another counselor for to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I will come to you before long, and the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, 
you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Jesus started telling him about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And you realize that the Holy Spirit, when you accept Christ, does dwell in you. But that is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit for power. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. Jesus lives in you and the Father lives in you. And we are, we are blessed to have him. And some denominations believe that is the receiving of the, the Holy Spirit. But the thing is, he says in here that he will always be with us. He will never leave us as, as orphans. And that he is always with us and he is there with the Father and the Spirit already. So we do have the Spirit in us. And this is one of the first places that John starts teaching his disciples on the Holy Spirit. Let's go to John 16. John 16, verse 5. Again, he, he is teaching them on the, the Holy Spirit and what it is going to do. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard, and in regard to sin, because man does not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you more than you can hear, or that you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. I am not speaking on my own. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and, that, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And that belongs and all that belongs to my Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more, and then, after a little while, you will see me. The Holy Spirit cannot come unless Jesus goes away. The Holy Spirit resides in the people, and we'll, we'll come to verses later on where Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. But that is totally different than the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus, again, is saying that he will be a counselor, he will give you all truth, he will give you wisdom and knowledge and understanding if you would listen to him. He will give you the power to hear what the Father says in heaven. Because Jesus says, everything the Father has is mine, and I give you everything that I have. 
You lack nothing because of the grace of God. You lack totally nothing unless you step out of that. You can choose to step out of that. You can see circumstances and step out of God's provision if you wish. God will not grab you by the arm and pull you back. Circumstances may push you back. But God is always faithful to be there. The Holy Spirit will be the will be judging righteousness and sin. But if you accept Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Move on to John 20. We're getting closer to the the crucifixion. This is after he has risen. John 20, 19, 20 to 23. It's funny, I, I, you know, I was reading commentaries on these and, and, and these verses, you know, disciples are in their upper room afraid of the Jews coming to arrest them, to crucify them, to do what they did to Jesus. And it even says the doors are locked for fear of the Jews. But in one of the commentaries, it said Jesus snuck in through one of the doors. I went, excuse me? You're a biblical scholar? But it's amazing. So, again, read a lot of commentaries. Don't take somebody's one opinion on this. Let me read these verses to you, 19 to 23. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I spent a lot of time reading commentaries on this. Because, first of all, Jesus said, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, he said the Holy Spirit couldn't come until he was gone. So you know there's something different there. But to say, whatever you forgive will be forgiven. One of the commentaries I read, I, those of you that maybe have a Catholic background, that only priests can forgive sin, that's why you have to go to a priest to be forgiven. These are the verses that they use. But we understand that Jesus at the cross, all sin was dead. Jesus, when he died at the cross, took all mankind's sin. He will never make a sacrifice again. So why is it that we say, whatever you forgive, you do, honestly, if you believe you have the power to forgive sin and can move heaven because of your decision, you need to read your scriptures over and over again until you get it right. But a lot of people take that as we are given the power 
We are given the power to forgive sin, to bind and loose. What it's really saying there is when Jesus said, and breathe the Holy Spirit on him, which is a picture of God breathing the Holy Spirit into Adam the first time, when he put his nature into Adam, when he put his being into Adam. Jesus saying, I am starting to restore what Adam lost. I am going to breathe into you. You will have wisdom. You will be able to see what is forgiven and what is not forgiven. You will have wisdom of the Holy Spirit. It is not you doing the forgiving. It is not you doing the binding and loosing. It has been done in heaven, and you will see that it has been done. And if you don't agree with that, you can see my attorney. He's available for consultation. <laughs> but that makes so much more sense than saying this group of men have the right to forgive your sins. They don't. They've already been forgiven at the cross. It's already been forgiven at the cross. But once more, Jesus is leading them back to where originally we were supposed to be. We are supposed to live in the garden as Adam and be close to God and have, and Jesus breathed on them. You can, I don't know if this is a good way to put it, but I'll put it this way. It's almost like a down payment on what's coming. I'm going to start filling you back up with all the glory that Adam had in the garden with my father and knew his presence. Let's move to Acts. The Acts of the Apostle. Acts 1. Jesus is still with the disciples at this point. But he gives them a command in chapter 1 and just verses 4 and 5 says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, and in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Brings up a, a number of things. If you realize... In Jesus' ministry, he never baptized anyone. John baptized people. The disciples probably baptized people. Jesus never baptized anyone. Because he was going to baptize them with fire and the Holy Ghost. He told them to wait in Jerusalem. Don't understand all the significance there other than what we can pull out of older scripture until the this Holy Spirit comes and the gift what do we know about a gift? What? Absolutely right. Something somebody gave to you. You didn't earn it. You probably didn't deserve it. But they gave it to you anyhow. Right? So he is giving the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is grace. 
that he gave the Holy Spirit. He also says, tarry and wait for it. Well, I don't know about your experiences, those of you who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but there's, I've heard all kinds of stories of people trying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Used to have tearing times where you would go and you would kneel at the altar and it may be days and you would just wait because that's what the disciples did. They had to wait. And until God moved, if I wait another hour, God's going to move. No, I don't think you're going to move God that way. It is a gift. And the way you receive a gift is you receive it. You say thank you. You take it on faith. Because he is faithful. And all his promises are yes and amen. And if he has promised it, you will get it. Coming up uh, in, a, in a Pentecostal background, the speaking in tongues was more important than the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And all kinds of natural tricks to get you to speak in tongues by reciting something silly over and over and over and over and over again. You know, people pushing you and throwing water on you or throwing oil on you and come on, receive it, receive it, receive it, receive it. I want it. Okay, that's all you need to do. But I've seen all kinds of all kinds of things. My wife, when she received it, was sitting by herself in her bedroom just fell upon her. I received it in a, in, a, in a meeting. And it was one of those, I surrender. I want it. Boom. I didn't have to beg. I didn't have to borrow. I didn't have to send my check to a ministry to, to get it blessed or, or anything else. It is a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. And Jesus says that here. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. God's good on his promises. He is good on his promises. John 2, I'm sorry, Acts 2, 1 through 4. Now this is the day of Pentecost. The disciples have been sitting and waiting in, in, in the upper room. We celebrate Pentecost Sunday in two weeks. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came upon each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This was the first outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Spirit for power. It doesn't have to replicate. It doesn't have to happen this way for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You do not need to see fire come down on somebody's head. You do not need to hear the roaring wind. It is a gift from the Father. And they sat and waited for the gift. I'm sure they were praying. 
I'm sure they were eating. I'm sure they were sleeping. I'm sure they were still scared to death of what the Jews are going to do to them. Were they going to arrest them and throw them in prison? But they waited because Jesus said, wait till you receive this and it will be power for you. It wasn't just power for them at that time because it is an example of what you can receive and what you can have. But don't look for it in a, a familiar way. Accept that his promise is good. The Father is good on his promise. And you will receive it. Go to Acts 4. Now I included this because this is a apostolic prayer and Peter and John were out and they had been arrested and they came back after being arrested and told not to preach in the name of Jesus and they said well that's not going to happen we're going to pray in the name of Jesus that was obviously the boldness of the Holy Spirit upon them but they came back and I've always enjoyed this this series of verses partly because of the power it demonstrates for man, but also who it comes from. Verse 29, and this is in the midst of their prayer. He says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You notice they didn't have to be in the upper room. They didn't have to do it in the same format. It came totally different. They asked the Father to display his power, to give them the power. They said, when we reach out, we will be the hand. Reach out your hand. I will be your hand. We will heal. We will proclaim the word boldly in the name of your servant, Jesus. It's always a good prayer. It would be great to have the, world the room shaken. I've seen bits and pieces of that. But that's not always going to happen. Again, his promise is good. You will receive his promise. The last verse I want to talk about is Acts 8, 14 to 17. Just another example of the Holy Spirit coming and falling upon them. And this was during a time when they were out just going through the, the streets and preaching. And it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. I'm really trying to make the point that when you are saved, you do have the Holy Spirit in you. 
But there is a power that you can receive by accepting a gift that God has promised you beyond that. It scares some people because there is, there is great power in this. People can usually do three things with power. They can take it and abuse it. They can speak boldly in circumstances where they're among people that will believe them. But when it comes down, when the rubber hits the road, when there's not enough money, when there's a diagnosis of illness, when life doesn't seem to be going the way you want it to go, instead of living in that power, they step outside. Those, those are the people that frustrate me. I'll be honest with you. It drives me nuts. Didn't God promise to take care of you? Didn't he say, I will always be with you? Yes. Well, what part of that don't you believe? I'm not condemning anyone. But that is the way we are. We are so used to going to ourselves instead of resting and being in the presence of the Father and letting him take care of us. We look at circumstances. Circumstances do not dictate what God is doing. There are things that will happen in our lives that are sad and tragic, but that does not dictate the way my Father sees me, the way he loves me, the way he deals with me, the way he's forgiven my sin. Forever, forever, forever. The verses I shared with you in Isaiah, it says, if you trust him, you will be in peace. It's a marvelous place to be. To be in peace every day. It doesn't matter what happens. Even when you get up in the morning and go get ready to go to church and your car has a flat tire. Oh, those things happen. But I'm still here. I got here anyhow. I deal with the tire later. And the third way is, is people can live a life and never enter in to the promises of God. What a sad place. It's like coming down and seeing a Christmas tree filled with presents underneath it and going away and never opening the gifts that are yours. That's why children understand that better than we do. See, as adults, we open the gift and then we complain the gift isn't quite the way we wanted it. That's a sila. So, God has all authority and power. He gave it to Jesus and Jesus gave it to us. God has the power to keep us and, and to hold us and protect us and provide for us. And he has promised it. And God has also promised the power through the Holy Spirit when he comes. And he is in us, but when he comes upon us with power, he will give that to us. couple things I want you to take away from this. The Holy Spirit wasn't something God came up with in the eighth inning of the ball game. He's not a relief pitcher to take over for Jesus. This was always God's plan from the beginning of the foundation of the universe. He had already planned to give us this power. He already knew Adam would fall but he brought us back into a state where we were back with him. He restored all authority 
to us that Adam gave away. You have absolute authority. You need to start living that way. We all need to start living that way. We will, we will walk in and out of authority and we will walk in and out of power. But the more you trust him, the more peace you will have. It will allow you to live in peace. It's a strange place, but it's, it's taken me over 60 years to get to that. I'm starting to see what it's like to live in peace. Circumstances are going to change. But I live in peace. It also draws you into a deeper love of the Father. See, you don't understand his great love for you. I know none of us do. We can't, we can't fathom it. Because our love as we give to other people is conditional. I'll love you if. If you love me, you will. No. Father says, I love you. I know you're going to sin. I've already forgiven those sins. You, you, you dwell with me in the heavenly realms. You are mine. And the last thing is his power that he gives you. Gives you the ability to overcome sin in your life. See, grace, everything that God gives us is by grace. And it is through his love. Some people think if we have too much grace, we'll sin. That's so backwards. Too much grace, we know the love of the Father, and we have power not to sin. And then when we do, we have someone we can go to that has already taken care of it, and everything is fine. You have power. Live in that power. Live and let the Holy Spirit talk to you and be in you, and grow in you. And you will be amazed on how things come out in your life, and how things turn around. We want to take communion now. We want to take communion, again, as a celebration of what the Father has done and promised to us. All that he has given us. This is not a, a sad time. I know also in the uh, Catholic religion, and I'm not sh quite sure why, but when you see a cross, you always see Jesus still on the cross. Jesus is no longer on the cross. He is with the Father. Flying home Friday, I had a circumstance where the uh, I had a priest sitting in front of me in the plane seemed like a really nice guy. And he was getting ready, and one of the flight attendants saw him and says, Oh, Father, would you come and bless this necklace? And he kind of looked at her. It wasn't a cross. She said, Just bless this necklace. He kind of looked at me, and I said, Okay. And he says, Well, would you take it off first? I, you know, the man had wisdom because he wasn't going to touch the woman. And she took it off, and he took it, and he blessed it. and She was, she was thrilled to death. And I thought, I could have blessed her just as easily. 
Anybody that has a belief in, in God could have blessed her. We don't look to men. We look to the Father who's always good, who loves us beyond our belief. So that's why we celebrate. We don't celebrate the cruelty of the world. We celebrate the power of our God who overcame the cruelty of the world to bring us back to him and put us in the garden where we could eat at the tree of life. So Jesus took the bread with his disciples and he said, do this in remembrance of me. This is his sacrifice for you. It is not a sad sacrifice. It is a joyous sacrifice. All that you have received is because of his sacrifice and not one thing you have done. And he says, remember me when you take and eat. Eat. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. It is a symbol of the covenant I make with you. Again, it was a one-way covenant. He doesn't say, drink this, and if you're a good boy, it'll work. Or if you're a good girl, it'll work. He said, drink this, because this is my covenant. I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. I will keep my word. I will be with you. So take and celebrate the covenant he has made with you.